I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I think our biggest asset as women to gain more power is to share our ideas. And and really, the research tells us that networking drops off between the ages of 35 and 50 for, for a lot of women. And men don't do that. It accelerates. On Leading She today, my guest is Kelly O'Keefe. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It's great to be here, Susan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. This is this is going to be great. I'm going to introduce you, uh, your bio, and uh, we'll get into some discussion. Sounds good. As founder and CEO of Empowered Engagement, Kelly O'Keefe advises companies on how to be more gender inclusive. She also focuses on helping women as entrepreneurs in business by assisting them with sales and revenue generation, improving their cash flow. Kelly worked for 15 years as a sales leader at some of the largest tech companies in the world, such as a sales executive with IBM, global client director for Gartner, and most recently, a senior global director for ServiceSource, which was acquired by Concentrix, where she led a 300-person global sales team responsible for 15% of the company's revenue. Along her journey, Kelly worked to improve her personal income by 10 times in 12 years and was number one performing woman in her company as a revenue generator. She worked with leaders ranging from Fortune 500 CEOs to managers of small companies. So welcome again, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Yeah. Yeah, your career, um, you're a unique guest uh, to Leading She. Your, your career is not as long and you're younger than a number of my guests. Uh, you are a millennial, yet you have had a lot of success early in sales, a lot of big responsibilities, managing a big staff early in your career. And you left, cor- left corporate world and, came and uh, began your own company, I believe, as an entrepreneur in September 2022. And now you're helping women be successful. You've had the corporate experience. You saw a need for women to that uh, may have decided to go into sales or start their own company. So talk about maybe some highlights of your corporate experience and then talk about your company, Empowered Engagement. Sure. So, you know, I, I wanted... I wanted to blast off very quickly, like many um, millennial entrepreneurial type minded women. Um, but I, st- I started my career actually in, I graduated college in 2007. And so I was going into the work world right as we were having that financial disaster, right? Mm-hmm. So, I remember. <laughs> so, so I got in, literally, I, um, I graduated in December of 2007 and started my job in January, 2008, right before all that, you know, the wave hit. And so I was presented with an opportunity of, I started as a technical recruiter. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. It was kind of, you know, I I feel like that early on, it's just hard, but I knew I wanted to be successful and I was eager. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, there was an opportunity once the, the bottom dropped out for me to move into sales because obviously, you know, they needed more revenue generators. And so it was sort of like sink or swim. Right. So four months after I started my professional career, I was thrust into my first promotion, but really it was look, go knock on doors, go get business where you can. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I really knew it was, I didn't have any, 
folks really in business in my family. I came from very humble beginnings. I had to make it work, right? Um, and so I had to just figure it out and, and model what the high performers were doing. And so I did that for two and a half years and became the highest performing female in, in my firm. Um, but I had to let, you know, I had to overcome a lot of mental barriers, right? Fear, all that good stuff. Well, then I, um, I said, well, you know, what do I want to do next? And so that's where the opportunity to go back to business school um, was a big deal for me because I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated school. And I was really thrust into the sales world. I knew there was something there, but I also knew enough to know I, what I, I didn't know. So if I wanted to go work mm-hmm. for some large technology firms, really needed an MBA. So I went back to school, um, got an MBA, and then IBM hired me. Um, to to move out to Silicon Valley. And I was presented with this a fantastic opportunity to learn for, from so many smart people. It's amazing. Um, and, and really sell, you know, complex technical solutions. Opportunity to move to Gartner, like you said. And so these doors open and I was able to... I was really looking, coming from a small town, I was looking to enter the arena, as my mom says. I needed yes. to see what what was going on and how I could get into it, right? So I really wanted an avenue where I could work globally um, and interact with folks at a global level. And so IBM provided that opportunity. Gartner provided that opportunity for me and um, eventually moved over to Service Source and Alcancentric. And so it's been a phenomenal, um, amazing, Mm -hmm. amazing time. Yeah. Now we're going to get into some of the uh, tips uh, that you would have around sales, you know, how how you were so successful in sales. And then we're going to talk also about women and and the consulting you do and helping them build businesses. So um, why did you feel like you were so successful at sales? Why do you feel like you're being called to do what you're doing with empowered engagement? Maybe give us a profile on empowered engagement, kind of what happened that caused you to say, I'm getting out of corporate world. I'm going to start this, this new venture. Yeah, absolutely. So I had been in the corporate world in the sales arena for 15 years and it was a combination of things when the world was shifting, right? COVID hit, I was no longer traveling and coming home. My work world and my life were completely integrated. It was a 24-7 type, um, just all-consuming thing for me. Um, And as a having perfectionistic tendencies, which I think a lot of female ambitious women do, right? Um, I I would just work until I got it right. Right. And so I was actually, I'm 38, I'll be 39 shortly. I was in a situation where, um, I'd gotten married at 35 COVID was hitting. I was 36, 37. I'd had a series of, I mean, I'm just put it out there at a series of miscarriages. I was, um, having fertility issues and, the work-life separation in these hours were not working for me. What I thought it took to get the job done the way I wanted to do it was not compatible with my biorhythms and my body. And so I said, all right, um, I got to make a choice here. We got to make a choice here. What what am I going to do? Luckily, I have a very supportive husband that's been my best friend since business school. And he gets it. Um, but I think of all these women who, who maybe don't, but 
Yeah. So he said, all right. And we made it, we planned and made a conscious decision. Okay. When the timing's right, you know, we're, we're going to, um, go on another round of fertility and Kelly, you're going to make a career adjustment. So that's what I did. And as I was, I, I parted waves with my company, love the company. Everyone I worked with was fabulous, but it was a life decision. It was perfect. It was personal. And so the first thing I did was I started reading as much as I could get my hands on and the McKinsey women in the workplace report had just come out. So I said, huh, let me pick this bad boy up. I'd never had time to read really in my job. I'd never had time. Um, so I was stunned, Susan. I started reading about all of these millennial females. And here I am sort of, I consider myself an elder millennial. Um, all these millennial females and just women that were pouring out of corporate and so I wanted to figure out, I knew why, because we were all burnout. We we're all trying to, you know, either manage having children or caretaking other folks or just a variety of personal circumstances. We can't do it all. And um, so I started digging in specifically to where women were pouring out. And it was right in that like manager, director, VP area, right? Right where we're like sort of, you know, in our thirties, early forties, getting our hands on managing a PL, responsible for a business unit, you know, taking on additional responsibility. Um, and so I thought that's really interesting. And I started to look into, I started to a interview high-performing women who had made it through COVID and were accelerating their careers. Cause I thought, what the hell are they doing? Well, well, and then also, you know, <laughs> what about women in revenue producing roles? Because I really feel like that's, it's dear to my heart because I grew up in sales, but I also truly believe that allows women to have a voice that allows people to have a voice. When you're bringing in revenue, people listen, right. To, to what's going to maintain that revenue stream coming in. And so, um, when I learned that the rates for females moving up to those decision maker roles and, and revenue generating roles, uh, leading roles, that was, it was staggering to me because it was such a drastic difference and there's not mm -hmm. a lot of folks talking about it. And I was really stunned. So I said, I'm doing something yeah. about it. That's my purpose. Dang it. Yeah. And so I said, I've got to do something to address this or to, to help impact yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I can see the passion and uh, your company is relatively new. Uh, but I, I looked at the McKenzie report. There was an article from t October of 2022. It says, quote, women leaders are switching jobs at the highest rates we've ever seen. And ambitious young women are prepared to do the same. I mean, I think that's what we, I know this is what we saw as a result of COVID. I mean, these women, it was a quite kind of a large, quiet walkout from, from working and starting new companies. And these women are home for months at a time, trying to do their jobs on Zoom with kids home. And it's just like, hey, I, this, I'm not, I've got to reevaluate what I'm doing here. I think that's what was going on. Do you? I think that absolutely, Susan, compounded with the fact of we saw how quickly companies shifted to remote work to keep that revenue coming in. Mm. Yet, as millennial women, we were sort of a lot of us were groomed to get your education, get your own source of income, all of that. But yet we didn't see any drastic measures taken to help us get to the next level, right? Companies aren't making changes that are gender friendly to encourage more millennial women 
um, to, to move up. And so we saw how drastically companies were making changes to uh, sustain the workforce working from home. But I think we're frustrated and we felt like the carrot dangling of, oh, look, there's a few females who have made it. We're going, well, I don't see the path for me. Like, you know, here I am. I have a friend, a friend down the street from me. She works for an amazing, large global company. And, and this doesn't happen everywhere, but she has this manager who keeps dangling the carrot that she can go work from their corporate office on the other side of the country for a week if she hits this goal, right? She's got a one-year-old at home and her husband <laughs> works on shipping containers. He's a ship captain for a major shipping company has gone through months at a time. Her family lives out of the country. She's like, what the hell? Like, that is not an incentive. You know, you have no right. idea as to what she she's wants. literally yeah. on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Get me some help, you know? Right. Well, um, yeah. So it's big walkout. These women are, you know, we're seeing them form new businesses and you're, you are, uh, you can see a need to help them. Let's talk about sales for a bit. Um, you were good at it. Uh, top performer. There's often an attitude about sales and I was in sales. I was a mortgage banker, but I sold money, you know, and I, there was a big part of sales in that. And I've heard it said that everybody is a salesperson. Everyone is a salesperson. You've got to persuade somebody to do something that they may or may not want to do that you want them to do. And, you know, we've got this uh, attitude sometimes of a white-shoed used use car salesman, right? That, you know, who wants to be in sales, you know, but it can be very lucrative. And you're really, talk about sales and how you, you mentioned in something that women tend to self-select out of revenue-producing roles. What, what would you say about sales? You know, that's a, a phenomenal comment that I struggle with because we don't know, there's actually not enough research, no research out there right now to say, are women self-selecting out before they can gain experience in these areas? Or are the, is the access just not there for them to cultivate these skills? And so we, we see, um, you know, where a typical, um, you know, rates of, of, VPs say in legal or HR or marketing, for example, we see, you know, women on that track, you should usually see at least 30% of those roles are filled by women. Women are the most educated we've ever been in history. We're getting the more, most master's degrees. We've outnumber men and PhDs, et cetera. But when it comes to sales, we see that, you know, vice presidents of sales, there's only, you know, 20% are, are female, it's estimated. And again, there's not a lot mm -hmm. of research out there. Um, so I've had to dig for these numbers, but you know, I think there's a few things going on just being a millennial and female in sales myself. I never saw myself in sales because I felt like I was too transparent and authentic and that just wasn't my calling. Um, <laughs> but I had to. Often sales, you know. <laughs> well, it does. It does. People, it does. People buy, you know, women women actually spend, we have such a large buying power just as consumers yeah. that we know the buying, you know, process and the customer journey more intimately than we give ourselves credit for. And I also think that there's something going on around perfectionism that we've got to step out of because as little girls and women, we're socially conditioned to, you know, sit pretty, look pretty, be perfect. And we want to fulfill this stereotype. And I think a lot of times 
in other professions, it's more planning oriented or it's mm-hmm. less failure involved. In sales, you kind of have to get out there, right? And you're going to fail. You're going right. to, you know, have to re- see what works and what doesn't for you. And I think that's an uncomfortable right. place to be for a lot of young women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, women can be lack confidence in 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 uh, getting into sales. I, I put it off for a long time. I'm good at it, but I, I don't know. I didn't want to be feel, face the rejection and everything, but you're really just meeting a value. Um, you're like me. And I've often heard this. You don't talk about price. You know, you don't, t- and a lot of times clients want to talk about price early. What do you think the biggest keys to your sales success were? And you've mentioned a couple of them already. You know, I think people appreciate directness and everyone's looking for the mutual best fit. So I think my secret weapon, if anything, is I like to research. And so much like you, Susan, I I would research my, and I actually got my MBA because I wanted to be able to research what these companies Mm -hmm. are trying to do, because I wouldn't know necessarily how to present the best value. I tell people, you know, I mix cocktails for a living because, you know, I would understand their business problem and ask questions about it and really get a sense of what, okay, what's the highest priority business problem here? And how can we come up with a complex solution to address that business problem and solve it? So it's about the problem and mixing cocktails. It wasn't about, you know, let me fit a square peg in a round hole or whatever. That's not me. Um, Right. Yeah. Not looking at uh, like, okay, how can I make money off this guy? Um, You know, what is the problem? And really sales is really, they have a need. uh, They have a problem and you've got something that will work. And your job is to to do that, to figure it out and then to persuade them into doing it. I mean, it really gets down to that uh, rather than, you know, uh, being likable, likable is important. You know, I tended to be a relationship person versus a transaction type salesperson. And I can tell you did too. And it, it, it works. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but it does work. Yeah. I find, you know, is trust goes a long way and the follow-up goes a long way. I think people appreciate it when yeah. you can make their lives simpler, more efficient. Um, and right. you can say, look, you know, this is going to fit 90% of your need, but you really need the other 10% is going to come from a competitor solution. Now, you know, here's the easiest way to do that. Or here's based on your priorities. Here's what I'd recommend. And I think people appreciate the directness um, mm-hmm. and the ease of doing business. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there is a perfectionism attribute. It comes up a lot in the podcast uh, that uh, and these women that have have made it in male dominated fields and been executives. They're just like, hey, give it up. You're going to make mistakes. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. Just make sure you do excellent work. It does not have to be perfect. And you're going to spend a lot of time trying to be perfect and you just won't. I love that. That's so encouraging because, you know, I feel like everybody's still learning. You know, I'm still figuring this out. This is, I just launched my company last year. I'm, it's, I'm figuring out what the market need is. I'm listening to the market. And I think a, a big part of that was instilled in me through a professor at the University of Georgia. He taught design thinking and it's all about iterative, you know, listening to your market, iterating, evolving. And so, you know, reframing really the way that I'm approaching my career and, and, you know, just getting out there and I know I can make an impact. It, 
I'm going to evolve and iterate based on what the world's doing because we know the world's changing so quickly. So the fact that Mm -hmm. you've talked to all of these amazing female executives on your podcast and listened to these episodes, these are super high achieving women that have accomplished so much. And the fact that they're saying, look, you got to get rid of that perfectionism, you know, type deal means so much, so much. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's move to the topic of uh, kind of what you're doing. You have something called the Scale School. Um, I listened to your uh, event you had, um, and uh, that looked like it was it was a valuable thing to do for women thinking about starting businesses or women, you know, having businesses and saying, "Hey, this isn't working" or "That isn't working." What are you seeing there? What What do you think uh, the keys are to scaling a business? I know you say revenue solves problems and you recommend a strong business plan and sales training. So talk about what you're seeing around women that have businesses or thinking about starting them uh, and what, what you provide. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I founded the Scale School after talking, you know, lots of research, talking to my contacts, figuring out that because so many women have left corporate before they were able to do things like manage their own business unit, manage a profit and loss statement, be in charge of generating their own revenue, there's an obvious need in the market that I'm seeing with, with startup founders, business owners, experts, solopreneurs, that they may have, you know, excellent expertise and knowledge of their product service offering area of expertise. But when it comes to putting themselves out there and having a repeatable, sustainable way to scale their business to generate sustainable income, and I'm all about economic empowerment for females, the world's a better place when we're economically empowered. It th- that's a weak spot. There's a lot of anxiety there, and there's a lot of fear of rejection um, because you're going from someone who typically has probably overachieved their whole life, right, and and gotten A's, um, have yeah. you know great feedback, etc. And now they're doing they're exercising a muscle that's never been exercised or have very little. A lot of the folks that I, I coach and have come you know are coming through the scale school are women who are planners who like to know what's next, who want to have a goal and have a clear activities to that goal. Um, just like they would do if they're studying for tests or if they're, you know, developing a product. And so we do that. That's how we go about scaling their business. And that's what worked for me and took the anxiety out of it for me. I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson by nature and I had to plan and figure out, okay, mm-hmm. how am I going to overachieve my number every quarter? And so that really, um, forced me to work backwards and calculate the numbers and get nerdy about conversion rates and all that. And so that's what we do. We roll our sleeves up mm-hmm. and figure out how do we create the sustainable plan for you and your business? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, one of the in one of the podcasts I listened that you that you did, you talked about it's important to outsource. You, you know, even though she's just getting started, you know, what does she do well and stick to that, and then delegate or outsource everything else. I learned that in business that you have to, you know, um, that I wasn't necessarily good with accounting and that kind of thing, and I hated it. So. It's like I always had somebody else do that. <laughs> okay. I'm not good at IT, you know. 
uh, I understand it, but I always had people doing that stuff for me so I could do what I did best, mm -hmm. which is sell and build relationships. That's and I, you give that advice. It's great advice. I do think delegation is important. I think there's things that, you know, only you can uniquely do versus versus delegating, of course. And I think one of you know one of those is that muscle of of pitching your company and getting used to talking about your company and the value it provides. And I think there's a lot of feeling and emotion that goes into why your company exists, its purpose, and then how do you um, bridge the gap so that your target market perceives it as super valuable to them. And mm -hmm. so that's what we work yeah. on. And I you know I think. You a hundred percent agree with you um, that outsourcing is is the way to go. But I do also feel like it's good to at least be familiar with your budget and your P and L and things like that, so that you can understand the impact of the revenue you're driving and what yes. that does to your goals and the questions to ask your contractors, employees, etc. Mm -hmm. So just know enough to be dangerous. Yeah, it's no. It's important to know the numbers and the profit and loss, but you don't have to enter them in yeah. you know, <laughs> like in QuickBooks and stuff. <laughs> Get somebody to do that. Uh, one one thing I wanted to bring up to you, and I, I don't know if you see this, but over my career, I saw a lot of women starting companies and they give up when it gets really hard. Um, like that only is happening to her, and I think it's an important message for women to know that. It's, it was really hard for me. It's, I'm sure there are days where it's really hard for you. And it's like, God, why, is, why are all these things happening? Why isn't it better? And then you'll have really good days. But to get through that, that it's not just you, it's, this is hard. This is hard to do. It's really hard. It's, it's very hard. And I'm just a year in, right? So I can yeah. only imagine, yeah. you know, here's the thing is, it was really hard driving sales for 15 years too. Now being on your own, you know, there's a whole, um, at least when you're driving sales, you have some sort of base salary, right? But there's a few, a few things at play here in, in my point of view, especially if you're, you're starting out, maybe you have little kids, maybe you have dependents, maybe you have older, you know, folks depending on you the quicker you can have a clear path and concrete activities and identify what you're in control of versus what you're not in control of. For example, you know, you're not in control of if someone has a need. That's the universe. That's, you know, now you are in control of, am I in front of those folks that are going to have a need? Yes. You know, so am I putting myself in front of them? Can I do market research to enhance my chances that this messaging is going to be effective? Can I research and understand exactly what timing is going to be best to present this message? All of these things are going to be in your control. Can I rehearse my pitch? Can I align myself? Can I get my business plan together? We can dominate the things that you're in control of or have high influence over and at least make the path as crystal clear as possible so that you have finite steps to drive revenue. Because when it gets hard, when you wake up in the morning, you've been up since 2 a.m. dealing with crime, baby, whatever it is, you can grab your cup of coffee and just start in on it the next day. Yeah. You don't ha even have to think about it. The plan is there, right? I think we can try to minimize the fear and amb ambiguity, you know, doubt, all of the negative emotions. That's going to help. Um, but 
you know, realistically building that resilience muscle as well and thinking creatively um, are the skills that any entrepreneur um, I, I'm just, you're shaking your head. So, you know, any entrepreneur is, is really yeah. going to benefit from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, to a woman that I've interviewed on this podcast, I would say that the most common thread of all of them, the, the characteristic everyone has is resilience, that, that there are awful things that happen. There are bad things that happen in business and their personal lives. And by God, they get up and they, they do it again the next day. They show up, you know, and they don't give up and they just like, you know, look, it's, this is happening. It's not happening to me, you know, and um, just, you know, super resilient, but it's hard to grow a business. It's hard to run a business. Uh, people let you down. You're going to lose business sometimes that you thought you had. I mean, it's just, but you, you get back to why you're doing it. And, and uh, if you're driven, uh, fear is natural. It, it is natural. Everybody feels it. Um, but you can have courage, you know, and face it, you know. Yeah, I, I was just going to say in some of my book research, you know, there's a, a common theme that really points out women tend to gather more perseverance, resilience when they are representing another person or going to bat for another person or, mm. you know, it seems as if you, if you can connect your purpose to I'm doing this so my children will have a better life or my, you know, my, that seems to really propel and be most effective with women. Of course, everyone's different, but, um, that Mm -hmm. seems to be a trend. I can see that. When you and I got to know each other on a previous Zoom call, um, and you say it in your bio that, that this, doing this is personal for you. You, you came from a small town. You, you talk about your upbringing and how you overcame it. You had a mother who was a single mom and she was not self-sufficient. How do you think, you know, tell us about that and how you think that might've formed kind of who you are today? Yeah. I mean, it, it was not, um, it was not an easy, of course, it, it wasn't very easy growing up, right? So um, my parents divorced when I was very young. My mother um, had, you know, no college degree. She um, ended up going back to school when I was I was two. We we left a situation that just wasn't good. Um, a little bit, a few years later, I actually asked my mother when I was a child, "Can we please leave?" I, I asked her, right? Um, so it was it was one of the and so. But I learned a lot. Um, we lived with my grandparents for a little while. We um, it was kind of tumultuous. Both my parents remarried. My um, I was I was the only child of of my parents, so I was living with my mom, um, and we were getting by. She ended up going back to school again, working and going back to school out of town. So I was navigating, you know doing laundry, cooking, cleaning as I was a preteen. Um, and so there's a lot of responsibility there, but you know, I think that's where I really started to understand or kind of come into my own of I'm capable, right? I can do this. Um, it set a fire under me because I did not want to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I worked my butt off. I, you know, ran, just, just worked my butt off. And so I, I really 
sort of, we didn't have any folks in business in per se in my family. I was, like I said, small Georgia town, um, Rome, Georgia is a great place to, to grow up, but it wasn't necessarily in the middle of opportunity. I was finding my own rides to school, I was having to figure it out. And, um, so I think that background definitely helped me become resilient. Um, the fertility journey was really, what I think solidified, I've never considered myself sort of a women's advocate or anything like that. But when I was going through this fertility journey and reading these reports and everything, I said, I will not, if I have a daughter, she, she's not going to have it the same that I've had it. She will, you know, I have got to do something to where it's a little bit easier for her to have opportunity to move up in business. And I had a ton more opportunity than my mother because she was such a supportive influence. Um, but it is part, it is personal to me. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I take it seriously. It sounds like, sounds like you saw a life that you didn't want to have. And then you just worked and said, I'm, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to have a different life. And, uh, you have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, um, let's kind of move into some leading she questions. A few of those, um, in the remaining time we have, um, you, uh, one of your quotes I found somewhere along the way, the glass ceiling does still exist, but there are common strategies to bust it wide open. What, uh, what do you mean there? <laughs> it's funny because, and I've listened to your past guests and things like that. And every, there's a common thing, you know, everybody does recognize there's still resistance there. Um, yeah. I've been on a mission to what are the folks that have busted through? What are they doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> please tell me the answers. Um, right. so, you know, I am understanding some common themes that millennial women specifically have used to kind of bust through, um, these VP levels. Right. And, and a lot of them are gaining access to things like managing a PNL, um, handling microaggressions with, with, um, different strategies like grace or humor. Um, they are, you know, really focusing in on, um, finding opportunities where the schedule is more flexible so that, you know, they are able to pump in between meetings or, you know, figure out how to navigate their life while moving up. And they're, they're seeking out environments like that. So there's definitely common strategies, especially aligning with champions and direct bosses and executives that actually will, um, provide you with recognition and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. go to bat for you and things like that. So that's definitely things that I'm seeing millennial females do that are working for them, particularly Mm -hmm. in finding, you know, sponsors and champions. Um, if they're not with a boss that's championing or sponsoring them or does not have influence, they're quickly, um, moving to an environment that they do have a boss that will advocate and has Mm -hmm. influence. Um, but I, you know, I also think that, you know, it used to be kind of like an us versus them mentality. And I think there still is to some degree, but we need men too in in power. So I really have Mm -hmm. of the viewpoint of like, it's more about busting the ceiling so that we can actually, and I think everybody is, is in agreement of this. We just want equal opportunity. We just want, and it really, it benefits so many people, um, Mm -hmm. that happens. So yeah. Talk about microaggressions. I, I think I've only understood this term really in the last several years. It, it's 
relatively new. It's not a new practice by any means, but <laughs> it is a new uh, new term, at least to me, and you hear it a lot. Um, what? Tell me about, you know, kind of what your definition of it, and then tell me a situation where you have experienced that or you've seen it. Sure. So, in my point of view, microaggressions are small, indirect ways of signaling disrespect. So it could be through assuming that the only female in the meeting is going to take the notes and do the administrative task. Mm. It could be, yeah. you know, not inviting the boss who happens to be female on the golf outing because she's just not male. Um, you know, just things like that that are just rude, right? Um, and it yeah. signals that in a non-confrontational way, it signals that that person is excluded because they're less than or they're assumed to put in more work because they are, um, you know, less than or don't have enough, you know, qualifications, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are a couple of examples. And um, it it's very it's very common, right? And and we just don't notice it a lot of times. And I'm a believer that I really don't think they are intentional. I really don't think microaggressions on the most part are intended. I think it is something that's just been ingrained in us because, you know, we don't see women in authoritative positions growing up. That's not a tape that we've recorded, so to speak. Right. You know, usually the principal of the school's male, usually, you know, everybody, you know, you kind of you ingrained in you that you don't see female. And so you kind of males and females alike sort of make assumptions about females in the workplace based on the familiarity we have with females in power. Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, and have you experienced it in the you? I mean, your top woman performer and and all of this. I mean, did you have like little indirect jabs? It's interesting because I didn't I didn't experience that. And again, I worked for amazing employers, and they they mm-hmm. address things brilliantly. And I it, there were never any like major issues. I was always handled things like this with humor, and I didn't experience it really until I got into more leadership roles where I was involved in extended executive conversations. The, um, and I think that was more just because it was more, I was in different generational type situations, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I started my career, it was very 50, 50 when I was coming up in 2008, 2009, all of that, you know, it was very 50, 50 on my sales team in my, um, MBA, there was only, you know, a third, a fourth of us were female. However, I didn't experience anything like that there. Um, it wasn't until I was really in just in off social situations that, you know, I could, I, I would run into situations like, you know, not being invited on the golf outing and things like that. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) I would, (laughs) but I, I would come at it in a direct, funny way that, you know, kind of let the guys know like, Hey, this isn't cool, you know? Um, and they, and they would get it, but I did have to just part of my personality. I just like to address it, um, and then move on. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you, it, you can use humor and, and some of the women in my podcast have done that, that, uh, you know, there's, and I think I agree with you that I think most of it's unintentional. It's like, we didn't mean to leave you out. You know, we just didn't think about you'd want to go, you know, or whatever. And uh, so, and then if you come back with a quip, you get the message across, but then it's not confrontational, you know? 
And it is a good way if you can be quick enough to think about something really cool to say. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. I said, y'all didn't want it's my not, hot pink, it's not my easy. hot pink golf bag on the yeah. golf course with you. Come on. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I love golf. So they better not leave me out. So. <laughs> right. uh, let's, uh, you, you have some interesting things to say about uh, networking uh, styles and types of networking vary between men and women. Men tend to bond over activities while research is showing that uh, women tend to feel closer to other women when they share feelings in a one-on-one setting. Now that's women to women, but it sounds like men activities, women uh, have like, and that's how I developed relationships. I got my clients to like me. Right. And so what would you say about networking? Uh, this comes up a lot um, and, you know, just tips to women out there. Yeah, well, it's been really interesting digging through this information out here about the different types and different styles. It's been very eye-opening, um, especially for someone who married their business school sweetheart, who we're very much equals professionally and we do, we, we see each other, how we relate differently and all that. It still didn't occur to me that things might be different, but men tend to be activity oriented. I think we can all sort of see that trend. That's how men bond. They want to go do something with each other. And that might explain Mm -hmm. why they might not think of asking the female. Right. Um, so, but women tend to, um, bond, over more face-to-face conversations, more, um, you know, how did you feel about a certain situation when it happened? Um, so we see, we have to keep that in mind because as a female, if you're bandwidth, I know I'm in, I'm in the sandwich generation era right now. And so our, everybody's got very little time, but asking someone with little children or aging parents to go do an activity, sometimes that's very difficult. And so mm-hmm. we've got to, I think, harness the, uh, be conscious about, okay, well, am I trying to bond with a male or female or, or how does that person, regardless of gender, tend to bond with other folks? What do I see them doing? What do they initiate? Mm-hmm. And that way we can kind of encourage that type of networking so that you're not saying, okay, I need to go to some networking event late at night and have someone keep my kids. Maybe you can initiate that during the day over Zoom um, and talk about a certain situation or whatever, if that's the way that person prefers to bond. Similarly, maybe you can plan ahead, do an outing with your client. Um, you know, if, if, so I think just being conscious of the ways that folks bond and the gender differences um, can help you when you start to maximize your bonding opportunities with your clients when you're mm-hmm. restricted by your scheduling limitations. Yeah, yeah. Good, uh, good, good advice. Um, in one of your podcasts, I love what you said here, and that is, you know, if a young woman, 25, 30 years old, is trying to stand out and trying to be noticed and valued, to use her gifts and talents to stand out, you know, understand well, be very clear on what you're good at, and then use it to take on projects or whatever. I think it's a great advice. Thanks. Well, you know, certainly it's not the end all be all, but as I'm uncovering best practices of some of these VPs um, in my in my age group that are, what have they done? Well, that's definitely been a common theme of, okay, well, I know I'm a really great social person. How can I place that talent 
in an, in an environment where it will be noticed as an asset. Maybe I'll go work in operations, understand, you know, how that, that segment of the business works. And maybe mm-hmm. my outgoing personality can, can lend itself and be valuable there. And, you know, maybe they end up doing right. presentations for the team, vice versa. If you have a skill that you're honing, I think a lot of times we get caught up in, this is my industry, this is my segment. And that's a lost opportunity because you can really reimagine your environment and say, okay, how can I use that as a strength to stand out in a different area? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, just a couple more questions for you as we're wrapping up. Um, A couple of advice questions. If a woman is considering taking on a sales role uh, from an operations or maybe an administrative role and she's thinking about it and thinks she'll be good at it and an opportunity is before her, what advice would you give her? Well, I would interview, I would interview the folks that are the highest performing folks on the team, figure out what they're doing, what they will share with you that are the best practices in that specific environment. Don't get discouraged. If you fail, if you do things wrong, because it's going to happen, just expect it, learn from it and focus on the activities. I know uh, for me, that took away a lot of anxiety, focus on, you know, the number of relationships I need to build, the degree of those relationships I need to build, how many, you know, phone calls do I need to make? What are the tactical things that I need to do to reach my strategic Mm -hmm. goal? And that kind of Mm -hmm. allows you to take the nerves out of it while you're going through the motions and building that skill set. Yeah, we used to call it revenue. You have to be doing revenue producing activity, you know, and as a business person, an entrepreneur, you can get caught up in a whole lot of stuff that has nothing to do with generating revenue. You know, it's maybe running the business and that's why you have to outsource. But during the day, in the mornings, especially, you have to be doing revenue producing activity. And uh, it's a great idea to talk to the people that are getting it done and most successful. Great idea. I would say the last question here for you, if a woman is thinking about starting a new company or, or she's started a new company and she's just like kind of deer in the headlights, what, what advice would you give her? Well, you're not alone. (laughs) We're all deer in the headlights at some point. Um, So, you know, put your big big girl panties on and let's go. You know, I would say let's figure out a plan um, and put that plan in place. I love your idea of revenue generating activities during the daytime. I think if you can really prioritize those between in business, during business hours, treat it just like you do your nine to five and then do the operational stuff, either outsource it if you can or do that at night. That's, help me in large part. Um, but connecting with entrepreneurs that are doing it well. Um, you know, I, I'm just a big believer in let's help each other. I think our biggest asset as women, um, to gain more power is to share our ideas. And, and really the research tells us that networking drops off between the ages of 35 and 50 for, for a lot of women and men don't do that. It accelerates. Um, during the, that age. And so we mm-hmm. see our income levels kind of associate with that as well. So I think connect with other women who are doing it well, and learn those best practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you're working on a book. Um, what is the name of the book and when is it coming out? So I'm, I'm doing the research currently. I don't have a title yet, but when I have a title, yeah. I will let you know. Um, I just finished okay. the first draft and it will be all about, you know, the best practices of females, millennial females in business and, and how we can um, make the world a little bit more power 
equally distributed type place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, in my lifetime, your lifetime, hopefully, we'll see it. It is improving. Um, what's your uh, your your website is empowerment engagement. Empower, uh, what is it? Empoweredengagement.com. and you can mm-hmm. find the scale school by going to my website and clicking on the scale school. You can also link in with me or follow me on Instagram at the scale school. Yeah. And uh, Kelly O'Keefe, it's an odd spelling. Uh, Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y. Her last name is O apostrophe K-E-E-F-F-E. Right? Right. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. Took me a while to get that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got a great, uh, great business here. You're, you're growing and uh, you're helping women and I hope you get more business from this. You, you've definitely helped uh, helped me and helped uh, people listening. Um, thank you for joining me today on Leading She. Thank you for the opportunity, Susan. It is a delight to be here. So thankful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been great to get to know you. So thanks again. And it'll, it's a great episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders. 